Testing. All right. So, how's everybody doing? Good, good. So, uh, as I was preparing on what to preach tonight, uh, I've only preached a couple times, maybe three, four times so far at Friday Fire, but usually God just gives me one word, and it's pretty clear, and I'm really faithful in just preaching that out, but God was just teaching me so many things the last couple weeks, and isn't that a good thing, though? You know, God does a new thing, and when he gives you a revelation, a fresh revelation every every week or every day, it's just a, such an exciting thing to do, you know, such an exciting time. And uh, But as I just kept praying and preparing, yeah, I realized all these little things I was learning, it kind of fell under one umbrella, you could say. So that's what I'm going to preach about tonight. Um, but before I get into that specifically, this is the year of what? Inspiration. Inspiration. And it's a season of building for New Philly. And a couple weeks ago, Pastor Christian challenged the whole church to get into Proverbs, right? To read it by the time of the retreat. Because he said, when we're going to build the house of God, we need wisdom. We need wisdom from above. So on that note, guess where I'm preaching from tonight? Proverbs. All right. Turn your Bible to Proverbs chapter 1. So, uh, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Tonight's sermon is called, Mama Knows Best. (laughs) So, for clarity and for time purposes, mama or mother, it's going to mean father as well. So, just keep that in mind. And just to make it a little fun tonight, you know, it's Friday fire, let's make it a little fun. Every time I say mama, you guys are going to say knows best. Got it? So mama? Knows best. Mama? Knows best. All right. So before I dig into this text, uh, before I really get into that word, let's just look at some characters in the Bible who really believed that mama? All right. So I'm taking a Hebrew exegesis one right now. It's really fun. And... Part of our uh, part of our reading reports, uh, we have to read this one textual criticism book. But another thing is we got to read the book of Ruth like five times. So it's fresh in my head right now. And let's talk about Ruth right now. So Ruth and her sister-in-law. Anybody know her name? Orpah. Oh, all right. That's what I'm talking about. Air high five. All right. So her sister-in-law, Orpha, they were, they were widowed. Their husbands died. And not only were they widowed, but their mother-in-law, Naomi, was widowed as well. And Ruth and Orpha, they were both Moabites, and Naomi was a Jew. So once Naomi's uh, husband died, she said, I'm just going to go back to Jerusalem, or Bethlehem, and uh, she's going to return to her land. And she was telling Ruth and Orpha to do the same thing. But what happened, uh, you know, Ruth clung on to her. Ruth said, I'm not going to go. And even though Ruth didn't listen to Naomi about leaving, you knew she placed value on Naomi's words. You know, it was her mother-in-law, but she placed a lot of value, a lot of weight on her mother's words. And you see this because when Naomi told her to always glean the fields uh, with other girls so that she wouldn't be harmed, you know, Ruth listened. And in other translations, it says, uh, glean with other girls so that you will not be literally raped. It was like pretty dangerous out there. But what happened? Ruth listened to Naomi. Uh, Ruth placed value on Naomi's words when 
she told her to, uh, you know, freshen up, <laughs> to go to Boaz's crib, you know, while he's sleeping, and, you know, uncover his, uncover his shoes or his feet, and to lie down at that threshing floor, whatever that means. So, you know, what happened? What happened? So because, because of Ruth's value on Naomi's words, Ruth ended up marrying Boaz, and everyone lived happily ever after, Right? So Ruth knew that mama, right. let's talk about another per- person who placed value on the parents' words. So during the 5th century uh, BC, the Israelites were enslaved by the Persian Empire. And out of the enslaved Israelites was one girl whose parents died. And this orphan girl's name was Esther. And Esther, I didn't really remember this when I was, when I was uh, researching this, but Esther was... Esther's cousin was Mordecai, right? But Mordecai actually adopted her, it said. It's her cousin, but her cousin adopted her. It's really weird, but it happened. So there's this kind of, you know, parent-daughter kind of relationship going on, right? And you knew that Esther, although she was adopted, she placed a lot of value on Mordecai's words. Value on the same level as a parent. And you see this because when... The queen, uh, Queen Vashti, I think that's how you say it, uh, when she disobeyed Xerxes, he said, you know what, I'm going to get a new wife. And, you know, after uh, Esther was just listening to Mordecai's words and just following her, I mean, granted, she was really beautiful. You know, that's why she stuck out, and that's why probably Xerxes had, her, had his eye on her. But as, he, as she listened to Mordecai, she be, ended up becoming the queen of Persia, right? And... Esther placed value on Mordecai's words when she listened and didn't share her nationality or family background to Xerxes. After she became queen, she listened to Mordecai. And this was key because if she knew, if Xerxes knew that she was an Israelite right away, that Esther would have ended differently, let's say that, you know? And you knew Esther placed value on Mordecai's words when Haman's plot to destroy the Jews were, was discovered. You know, Mordecai told Esther that if she would have remained silent, although salvation would come from elsewhere, that her and her family would surely die. And, you know, Esther responds, but be, I mean, before Esther responds, uh, Mordecai says again, this is, the, this is the cool, you know, the gangster line, this whole, this whole book, you know, and who knows but that you have come to a royal position for such a time as this. And then Esther tells Israel to join her uh, and to fast and pray for three days, right? And then this one is really cool. When she says, when this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Man. I need a girl like Esther. Man, where's my Esther? All right. So, yeah, because of Esther's value, there's, there's a lot of Esthers in our church. Yeah. Um, because of Esther's value on Mordecai's words, because Esther placed value on Mordecai's words, all the Jews from Persia were, were saved from destruction. And what did Esther know? Esther knew that mama So another person who placed value on a parent's word, words uh, was Solomon. So Solomon, he's the guy who actually wrote this proverb, right, that we just read. And he wrote this proverb pretty much just saying, you know, listen to your parents' instruction and teaching. And who is Solomon's father? David, right? 
And uh, if you don't have to turn here if you want, but First Kings chapter two, uh, verses two to four. This is these are the last words that David tells his son before he dies. And he says, "I'm about to go the way of all the earth." He says, "Son, be strong, show yourself a man, and get this: keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in His ways and keeping His statutes, His commandments, His rules, and His testimonies." as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. And because Solomon placed value on David's words, he really prospered. You know, it says he grew an army of 1,400 chariots and 12,000 horsemen. I don't know what that means today, but that means a lot of people in the army of God. And it was a boast. It was really a boast that he had because he prospered, you know, military and definitely a Uh, economically too it says that they had so much gold that time during like the golden age of israel they had so much gold that silver was was of little value it was chump change you know it was like it was like your peg one or something you know it was it was nothing because they had so much gold and it says that because solomon placed value on david's words and he really took it to heart you know his father's last words before he died it says that he extended israel's influence and power to so many cities and states that they had to pay a yearly tribute to Israel. And he expanded so much that, you know how much the tribute was? It was 666 talents of gold. Now, anyone here know how heavy a talent is? I heard, I heard something. Oh, okay, I didn't know that, so thank you. All right. Thank you, Nathan. All right. So... Yeah, it's 75 pounds, but if you, <laughs> if you times that, I, I know this one though, I bet, unless you guys have a calculator, but 666 talents, it's four and a half tons of gold. That's like a thousand, no, 10,000 pounds. That's like a lot of kilograms for you crazy people out there. So, you know, 2.2, right? So 22,000 gr- Anyways, that's not my sermon, but, and if you look at the equivalent of that, that's almost $300 million. That's crazy. One, one nation, they got a year, year uh, tribute of over $300 million. You feel you need some of that, amen? Man, but, and, and get this, get this. That was the base salary. It says that that wasn't including the revenues from traders and merchants from all over the world. That was the base salary. That was the minimum of what he got every, every year. And because of Solomon's value on David's words, he was able to build the first temple in Jerusalem. He was able to do amazing things because he placed value on his father's words. Solomon knew that mama... So now I want to talk about two traits uh, that all these three people had in common. And the first trait comes from the first half of Proverbs 1.8. So if you want to go back there. And it says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And the word instruction in Hebrew, it, could, it means instruction, but it could also mean uh, chastening. It could mean discipline. It could mean correction. So in other words, instruction can mean a rebuke, a life-giving rebuke. And if you look at the word hear, when it says hear, my son, it doesn't just mean hear, but it also means listen to intelligently. But it's often with the implication 
You got to really hear this. With, with attention and obedience. It's not just listen, but obey. And listen attentively. Listen with your full attention, undivided attention. And what Esther, Ruth, and Solomon had in common was this. They had the ability not just to listen, but to obey. Hearing means obeying. James chapter 1, it says, Do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. Don't deceive yourself. Do what the word says. And when we listen to instruction, discipline, correction, or rebuke, we are called to obey. Ruth, Esther, and Solomon knew that mama... Now, the second half of Proverbs 1, chapter 8, I mean, chapter 1, verse 8 says, uh, to forsake not your mother's teaching. And just to break down uh, the words to here, uh, teaching, it's uh, Torah, which means instruction. It means law, the Mosaic law, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. And another meaning that I didn't know was it could mean direction. But direction that is not just divine, but also human direction. There's this concept of not just the word of God, the law, but it's also human direction along with divine direction. So in other words, teaching here means that the, not just what the word of God tells you to do, but the direction that your spiritual authorities give you. This could be advice, affirmations. This could be you know, personal prayers. This could be every word that's preached on this pulpit. And if you want to look at the word forsake, uh, it doesn't just mean forsake, but it means to leave to reject, cease, abandon, quit, hang loose. And this is what I really want you to focus on. Let fall. So the second common trait Esther, Ruth, and Solomon had was a tenacity to never let a single teaching instruction fall to the ground. And I use this word tenacity. I just kind of threw this in there. It's not in the Bible. But tenacity because uh, I like this definition where the quality or fact of being able to grip something firmly. You get this image of someone being tenacious. It's like a wrestler. It's like someone who will just do like a monkey grab and never let go. You know, PC always talks about how he's a wrestler, right? And he just monkey grab people like this. And, you know, it's, there's this image of never, never, yeah, letting something fall to the ground. And when you don't want something to fall, especially something fragile in your hand, you hold on to it as strong as you can. And that's the kind of attitude you know, body language we should be showing with the words that are spoken in this house. And whenever I think of the word tenacious, I, I think of uh, like gymnasts because, yeah, just that, that hard grip, right? And yeah, I just want to talk about my friend real quick from middle school. His name was Paul Schatz. I remember he was the most uh, manly eighth grader I've seen in my life. And, and you know, we grew up in, uh, we grew up in, uh, elementary school altogether, and he got homeschooled for like a year or two. He came back eighth grade, and he was a changed man. <laughs> and again, he was the manliest eighth grade I've ever seen. <laughs> and he grew facial hair and everything. But and I found out it's because he did gymnastics. He was so strong. And in America, you know, we have this thing called fitness tests, where I think it's because America's so obese that we need to really make sure, you know, we're young and healthy. But yeah. The schools have these fitness tests, and one of them was uh, pull-ups. So, you know, the girls couldn't do a lot of pull-ups, so they just did the chin-ups, you know, and held it for like 12 seconds. And then they got excellent, you know? And then and the guys, they had to do, uh, I forget, like five or like 10 pull-ups or something. And it was funny because 
you know, when a guy couldn't do a pull-up, they had to do it with the girls. And then, you know, we would just make fun. But, <laughs> yo, this is middle school. This is middle school. So, you know, you would have laughed, too. This is middle school. Anyways. Yeah, but Paul Schatz, no joke, this eighth grader, he could do, like, 30 pull-ups. <laughs> he did 30 pull-ups. And, you know, I want you to have Paul Schatz in your head right now. <laughs> I want you to have the image of this diesel gymnast, strong gymnast in your head, because that's the kind of attitude we should have for the mother and father's instruction and teaching. We want to let go. We want to hold on. We want to never let go. We want to never let it fall to the ground. Just as Paul did 30 pull-ups and didn't let go of that bar, we got to hold onto the teachings of this house. And, you know, I'm kind of making it uh, lighthearted and fun right now, but I got to say, this is where I really got challenged. This is better where I got convicted. Because when I realized to hear also meant to obey and to not forsake a teaching meant to relentlessly hold onto it, I had to check my heart. And, you know, I've been at New Philly not just a year, but about a year and a half now. And, and a lot of you guys know my story. If you don't, you can ask me later. But uh, I came here to Korea for New Philly. And before I came, I was just listening, and I was just so hungry. And I was pretty much the son of the house before I came. But, yeah, when I first came here, I remember I was so excited, like, every Sunday. Because, you know, I, I got to worship with you guys together. And, and I'm still excited, don't get me wrong, but there was this, like, this crazy excitement I had just, just coming, like, you know, I was just really giddy coming. <laughs> you know, I was, just, I was just so happy to come, you know, to feel the presence of God so powerfully. And I think that's something we take advantage. I mean, not take advantage, take granted of many times. But, yeah, when we don't know how good it is, we, we take it for granted at times. And, you know, I was so happy because I didn't have to listen to podcasts anymore, but I could hear it live. You know, I didn't have to listen to Pastor Christian on two times speed, but I could listen to it on live <laughs> with, the, with the mannerisms, you know, and, and the jokes. And I got the full, full everything. And I was just so excited, so uh, hungry. And it was really like a dream come true. You know, that's what I felt like, coming to New Philly, being a part of this community. And again, I still feel this way. And... You know, we hear this uh, saying all the time, right? Familiarity breeds contempt. And this may be true a lot of times in our lives, but I want to tell you, and I firmly believe that it's not a fact. It could happen, but it doesn't mean it's a fact. Familiarity does not necessarily breed contempt. And although I didn't grow in contempt with the instruction and teaching of this house, I realized I shouldn't stay at the same level. The same level of hunger I felt when I first came here, or when I, what I feel now, it shouldn't stay the same. And it just reminded me of, you know, similar to growing in your relationship with God. When uh, Pastor Dave came here, Pastor Dave Gibbons, um, he was just, I think, I forget when he said it, but he was saying, especially for old people, there's this uh, false lie, pretty much, saying that as you get older, you should, your, your walk with God should kind of get, you know, it should kind of wane. You know, he was saying, like, old people kind of lose hope, and, and the longer you become a Christian, the more boring it gets almost. But that should not be the case. You know, every day you get to experience God's presence, where you get to read the Word of God. You get to see another dimension of God's glory. And there's this aspect of the, the closer we get to God, the more excited we should be, the more hungry we should be. We should never just be content with where we're at. 
And, you know, this is kind of even like uh, my relationship with my dad, too. So when I first came here, uh, PC was in the middle of his uh, 40-day fast for his father. And he, that really challenged me, too, because I had a really bad relationship with my dad in high school. Uh, and, like, yeah, we'd fight a lot and all this stuff, but uh, it got a lot better. It is, it's good now. It's really good now, especially ever since I went to college. But seeing that kind of uh, hunger and heart that PC had for his father and the relationship he wanted to see, that really encouraged me to say, man, although my relationship with my dad is good, and even in a worldly sense, it's, it's a good standard, but I'm not content with it. I want it to be better. You know, I want, it to, I want to grow in intimacy more. In that same way, we should always hunger and place a deeper value on the words in this house. We shouldn't just stay content with where we're at, but we got to want more. We have to want more. And a lot of you guys know my mom uh, visited me a couple weeks ago. And uh, she was only here for a short time. Uh, it was like three, four days. And it was really good. It was a really good time. I got to just spend time with her. And uh, ever since I left my home in college, I never really got to spend some quality time with mom, or my mom. And uh, I'm not going to cry right now. But... <laughs> I need some water right now. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So my, my time with my mom was good, and it was fun just uh, you know, getting to hear stories and, uh, you know, even just getting to, like, massage her and, and things like that and uh, see her converse with her siblings, like her sister and, my, and her brother that I didn't see since, like, I don't know. It was, like, my third or second time seeing him in my whole life, but... Um, yeah, it was really good, sweet time, and I think it was the lunch time we had. Uh, I invited a bunch of New Philly staff to come, and uh, my mom just ended up sharing an embarrassing story of me. <laughs> and, you know, when I was in elementary school, I used to sleep in the same bed as my mom, and uh, she'd always uh, just put me to bed, you know, anyways, it's like Korean nursery rhyme, whatever, and I was that age, so, and also, I was a pretty crazy kid, like, I would always come home with, like, holes in my jeans, or dirt everywhere, or, like, I think my mom had to buy jeans, like, every other week or something, because I just kept ruining them, and I was this little, you know, rug rat running around, even when I was older, and, and, you know, my church, my church was not the best place to have a little kid running around in, because, yeah, like, the back was all, like, weeds, and, like, there's this broken-down shed, and I think there were snakes and stuff there, but I'll just play there. That was, like, my playground. And, yeah, I'd always come home, like, sturdy and whatever, right? And I think one day my mom got mad and was like, you better not come, you know, at the end of the day after service, don't have a hole in your jeans or something, something like that. I don't remember the story, but pretty much I came with whole, holes in my jeans. <laughs> and then she said, Changju, that's my Korean name, when you go home, I'm going to meme you. I'm going to discipline you. And then, you know, my mom's a, my dad's a pastor. She's a pastor's wife. And they're really busy. They probably have a lot of ministry. And then when I was about to go to bed, I told my mom, I was like, Oma, you forgot something. <laughs> so, you know, being the little angel that I was, I told her you forgot to discipline me. And, you know, my mom's so loving. You know, she's, I thought she was going to say, like, you know, just because you said that, 
you learned your lesson. And because you learned your lesson, I'm not going to meme you. That was totally wrong, man. So I got, I got discipline, but, you know, I was, I was thinking about it, and I was like, why was I such a stupid child? You know? Like, did I not think that through? But then I, I thought of a better question. It was, why do I not still have that heart? Why do I not have a heart that loves discipline, that, that loves correction, loves to be rebuked? It's life-giving. And, you know, God doesn't like childishness, but he likes childlikeness. And that childlike heart I had, it, it made me think, like, man, I want that again. I want to have that heart that's just hungry for the word of God. The word of God that's spoken through our spiritual authorities that really transform your life. Reflecting on that, I had to check my heart. And I want to share two things uh, that God was putting on my heart recently. Uh, to not just agree that mama knows best, but to act upon it. So the first one is meekness. So to really act upon this proverb, you need meekness. So my first point is obeying instruction requires meekness. Obedience requires meekness. If you want to hear and obey your father's instruction, you need meekness. And I got to clarify this right now, but I think people have a misconception of what meekness is. When people think meek, they think weak. And just because they sound alike doesn't mean, you know, they're the same word. And just because it looks like it on the outward appearance, someone being meek or someone being weak, it doesn't mean the same thing. In actuality, it's the, it's the opposite. Being meek means the opposite of being weak. It means you're so strong inside that even on the outside, you may look weak. You're actually really strong inside. Meekness is pretty much just, it's, it's maturity in Christ. You know, we had uh, some speakers come to our leadership retreat last fall, and they were talking about, you know, dying to yourself and being unoffendable. When we're unoffendable, when we're in a grave, when we're dead, you know, we don't get offended by anything. In that same way, when we're meek, when we're so strong inside, no matter what happens on the outside, we're able to take it. And we need meekness for obedience because, you know, especially for rebukes. <laughs> so, you know, on the outside, it may seem like you're really being weak and just taking, you know, something bad from someone, but you need to be strong inside. It's maturity. It's a sign of maturity. You know, when someone tells you something you don't want to hear, you don't want to listen. Even if you know it's good, you don't want to listen. But a stronger, more mature person will be meek enough to hear it. In Proverbs chapter 12, 15 to 16, it says, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. A fool shows his annoyance at once, but a prudent man overlooks an insult. When you're meek, you're able to you know, eat the meat, spit out the bones. When you're meek, when you're strong enough, you're able to take a rebuke and take that advice and not just think that my way is the highway. You're able to think beyond that when you're meek. My second point is this. If you want to not let teaching fall to the ground, sacrifice is necessary. So first one was meekness. Second one is sacrifice. And I'm not just talking about any sacrifice, but sacrifice that leads to transformation. I was reading this book uh, by Bill Johnson. It was talking about the renewal of your mind. 
know, really long title, Supernatural Mind of God and all these things. But it's just pretty much saying you got to renew your mind. You have to renew your mind. And if you want to operate in the supernatural, you got to renew your mind. If you want to live for Christ, you got to renew your mind. That's why, you know, it says take captive every thought of Christ, uh, every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And what really hit me from this book was it said when we receive knowledge from a teaching, from a sermon, at most, it should be a byproduct. Knowledge is a byproduct from the teaching. If it doesn't lead to transformation in the way I think or the way I act, we, we've lost the point. And this really hit me hard, too, because coming to New Philly, I got really good at saying amen. And that's right. And come on. You know, I, I got really good at verbalizing. But, you know, I, I thought of all the times that, you know, I'd, I'd leave this leave the service and would I really practice it? You know, would I really meditate on that? And it really hit me, convicted me like, man, I, I can't just say empty words anymore. I need to let the word of God transform me. I need to let it discern the thoughts and intentions of my heart. And at times this requires sacrifice. Just going back to my uh, mom's visit, it was really cool. I always knew uh, my mom was that somebody who would just be so submissive and just speak in tongues on the side and support my dad all those years. And, uh, you know, one of those powerful supporting pastor's wives, you know. And I knew she was a prayer warrior. And that's why I am where I am today because, yeah, she just prayed for me every day. And But I, I didn't know how much of a prayer warrior there was in my, uh, my grandma, too. So just hanging out with them, my grandma's 93 years old, and yeah, she uh, she's a prayer warrior, man, and she's totally there, like she's not senile or anything like that, like she's, it's amazing actually, like she's 100% there, and really aware of everything, she's just like really on top of it, but, <laughs> and she's got an amazing story, I could tell you that later, but you know, she came from North Korea, took two, three years to come to South Korea. And she had my two aunt, uh, my aunt and my uncle and like, you know, travel by uh, nighttime and, you know, hid by day and all these things. And she was a prayer warrior. But let me tell you how much of a prayer warrior she was. She used to take her blanket, go to the church at 10 p.m. And she would pray till like four or five in the morning. And then she would have a regular day and maybe take a nap somewhere after lunch or something, you know? Like, she was a prayer warrior. She did this every day. And she's 93 years old. I don't know when she stopped. I don't think she, I hope she doesn't do it anymore. She can't even, <laughs> she can't even go up to church right now. But, but what's crazy is uh, when she was like 70-something, I don't know how they, doc, the doctors do this, but she got a test uh, for like her inside organs. And she had the, the organs of like a 50-year-old person when she was like 70-something. And that's what happens when you're in the presence of God. <laughs> the Holy Spirit gives you some supernatural health. And seriously, that's why she's so completely up there in her head. Like, it's, it's amazing. And, man, she's a, she's a prayer warrior. Like, 300 Spartan prayer warrior. Oh, I'm sorry. It was when she was in her 80s, not 70s, that she had organs, 50s, whatever. Uh, and my mom, get this, my mom, <laughs> I think she's, she's slowly making her way up there, but 
my mom, she's a full-time tamonim, you know, pastor's wife, but she's also a full-time nurse. She works crazy hours. Uh, she doesn't sleep a lot either. I think she sleeps like three, four hours every day. Uh, but no matter how much or how little she sleeps, she always wakes up enough to pray at least two hours, and on busy days, an hour. She always prays at least an hour or two every day. And, yeah, I got to, uh, she came to a Friday fire a couple weeks ago, and then we went to Pastor Christian and Aaron's uh, guest room. And, you know, so I got to sleep in the same room as my mom. And we got there really late, went to sleep really late. And, yeah, she woke up, like, really early. <laughs> speaking in tongues, and I just kind of opened my eye. I'm like, wow. <laughs> I just knocked out, you know? And I was a little tired. I was a little tired, okay? It was like four in the morning. So, and then I got to ask her about her prayer life. And she said, this is the, this is the pattern she has. She says, for like a brief, like, I don't know, 10, 12 seconds, she prays for herself. She just says, Lord, give me strength. Fill me with your spirit. And that's it. And then she'll pray for like, again, hour or two for like everything <laughs> like so my home church uh I don't know, we probably have like a hundred more or less and she prays for every family member like parent grandparent probably the dog even i don't even know but like the kids and the kids 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 that don't even come to our church you know kids like she prays for every and she says she prays so much that she has this map in her head that she's able to pray for like every person and i was I was blown away and, and get this. She said at least half the time she prays for my dad. Half, half that hour, half that two hours, she prays for my dad. She prays for, you know, blessings on his ministry. She prays blessings on his relationships with the elders and the deacons. And I was just like, am I even Christian? <laughs> oh Man. You know, after she left, I really had a deeper appreciation of the amazing inheritance I have in my family. And not only that, but my grandma's mom was like crazy, holy, on fire for God too. And, and uh, so I have this fourth generational blessing, you know? But if I really believe that that's my inheritance, am I just going to, you know, say it, speak it out and claim, yeah, Lord, that's my inheritance. I'm, I'm going to speak it out, but where am I going to act upon it? And that's what really hit me. And I was like, after I asked myself if I'm Christian, I was like, what am I going to do after really knowing what my inheritance is? Am I just going to say, yeah, Lord, I claim it and leave it at that? Or am I really going to do something about it? Because if I don't, it's going to be empty words. Tenacity to hold on to the words of your parents, whether it's natural or spiritual, it requires sacrifice. And... Let me just give you a lighter example. So, you know, but before I get into that, yeah, PC, uh, I was just going through my inheritance. I was going through past sermons, and uh, I think the sermon title was, This is Your Inheritance. So, you know, I thought it was very relevant to this. And Pastor Christian pretty much said, we get our inheritance through honor. He says, he said, if I want my inheritance from God, I need to honor the men and women of God that he has placed in my life. And honor, it can't just be, hey, I honor you, pastor, for for speaking that word and just leaving it at that. Honor, it costs something. Honor, it requires some kind of sacrifice, whether it's monetary 
whether it's with your time, whether it's with your words, whether it's with your attention, it costs you something. You can't just say it. You got to show it. This is when it's acts of service more than just words of affirmation. You got you to gotta really show it. So, yeah, going back to my light example, uh, it's just one little way that I, I felt like I was really applying this. And uh, Pastor Christian gave me this. I mean, I've been mentioning your name like every other minute, I feel like. But anyways, uh, he gave me this NIV study Bible that he really likes. And, you know, he said he studied it for like seven, eight years as a staff before he became pastor of this church. And uh, he likes that study Bible over, over every study Bible. And I, I have some other study Bibles, but I was like, all right. I'm going to read this one because that's, that's his Bible, you know? And just because of the uh, nature of my schedule, I, I, don't know, I just pretty much carry it around with me all the time. And I could show you how big it is, but it's pretty big. And uh, anyone who's held my backpack before, they know how heavy my backpack is. And I just felt like, yeah, if I'm really going to take it to heart. And, you know, he never told me, uh, David, as an intern pastor, and as a son of this house, you have to take this Bible everywhere with you. I didn't, he never told me that. He never verbalized that. But I was like, you know, sonship, it costs something. It costs, you know, 10 more pounds on my back. You know, it costs, you know, trying to strategically Tetris kind of, you know, fit stuff in my bag. You know, take that extra 30 seconds to think about it. It costs me something. And what I realized is, yeah, it's not just doing what you're told to do, but it's kind of going above and beyond that. And if that's what you want to do, that requires sacrifice. And, yeah, even with, uh, so Emmaus staff, you know, I'm always, I'm always doing Emmaus, and I love it. And uh, it's really cool because God's doing, already doing amazing things. And I think Pastor Aaron's really uh, preparing for the increase to come, that bamboo shoot increase to come. And so she's been delegating a lot authority to uh, these campus directors. And my campus director for Yonsei is Tina. And Tina's been doing a fantastic job. She's been doing really good. And, you know, but at the same time, we're, we're friends. So it was <laughs> it's easy for me to kind of just like poke fun and, and play whatever. But I mean, when it comes down to it, when it's ministry, like I, I really listen to her. You know, when it's serious, especially in our Mayus chat room business, <laughs> man, I'm all business there. I rarely talk there, actually, but, you know, it's, yeah, it's really, uh, like, when, when she's serious, when she's got her game face on, I listen. And, uh, again, we're friends, but, you know, I kind of I kinda had to check my heart to at one time, because I was like, am I joking around with her too much? Like, because Pastor Aaron put her there as an extension of her authority. And I was like, if this was Pastor Aaron and not Tina... Would I do half the things that I did to Tina? And I was like, I definitely wouldn't do that. So even with that, I was like, I can't just, yeah, I got to get the heart. You know, it's, it's going above and beyond. And it wasn't that much of a sacrifice to do that. But, you know, it required something deeper. It, it required me to really kind of cherish the instruction, the teaching, the words from my parents in that way. So... You know, I've been talking about meekness. I've been talking about sacrifice. And I've been sharing, you know, little examples myself personally. But let me tell you about the best example. Someone who showed meekness and sacrifice. You know, he didn't just listen to his father's words, but he obeyed them. I'm going to talk about a man who 
held on to the words of his father, no matter what it took. You know, Jesus said in John 5, 19, I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. Jesus was the perfect example of someone who didn't just listen to instruction, of someone who didn't forsake teaching, but really obeyed and really didn't let it fall to the ground. Jesus, Jesus showed us what... <laughs> Darn it! This is like the... This is when I was going to drive it home. You guys are all going to cry at the end of this, I promise you. So, <laughs> Jesus definitely showed us what meekness and sacrifice look like. I'm going to give you not just a, a narrated story of the crucifixion, but I'm going to give you another narration. A lot of you guys know I love Narnia. Like, I, I love Narnia. Like, I got crazy revelation from that. I got super blessed. I read through it all uh, last year, especially when I was in Japan. And it was just, uh, yeah, God spoke to me powerfully. So if you haven't read it, it's a children's book. But it's a book for all ages, I promise you. And actually, how many people saw the, the first movie, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe? All right, so most of you guys do. You're definitely going to cry by the end of this. Um, no. So, you know, Jesus, he's represented by Aslan. You know, he's the lion. He's the lion of Judah. And you guys know the story with Edmund and how he betrayed uh, the people. And pretty much, Aslan had to die for Edmund. He had to take his place. And that just symbolized what? Jesus taking our place, right? For the sins. Sins of the earth. And I remember the scene where uh, Aslan just kind of walking, you know? And as he's walking uh, to the to the their version of the tabernacle or whatever... As he's walking, there's these ugly little goblins, and they're like, they're like cutting his mane, you know? They're disgracing him. They're, they're disrespecting him. And in the same way, you know, this lion, this big lion, he could have just, one swipe, he could have just destroyed these goblins. And what happened with Jesus? You know, he, he's walking. He's walking up the hill, Golgoth Hill. And he could, at any moment, call a legion of angels to come. Jesus was the strongest, but he showed meekness. It looked like he was the weakest person. It looked like he was getting what he deserved. It looked like he was just this dirty prisoner, that this criminal. It looked like he was so weak, but he was so powerful inside. And talking about sacrifice, Jesus showed what sacrifice meant. And why I'm telling you that we have to really listen and obey to the Father's instruction and why we shouldn't forsake the teaching. It's because Jesus didn't do that. Jesus didn't let a single word of the Father fall to the ground. And God still speaks to us today. But he does it through, yeah, the pastors, specifically in this house, through pastors Aaron and Christian. And I think it's just been really cool because that's something I was learning in, by myself, but even with Pastor Christian and Pastor Aaron saying, this 
push for a new level of commitment or renewing our commitment to prayer and renewing our, our heart to see increase and, and to not just corporately pray, but personally pray for these things. You know, PC was saying, if you want to invest in your prayers, you need to invest your, your time and your faith. It has to cost you something. You can't just say it with empty words. And in that same way, Jesus didn't let a single word fall to the ground, and he obeyed. He didn't just listen. It didn't fall on deaf ears, but he obeyed. And that's the point of my message tonight, to just take us to a deeper level of what Jesus showed us perfectly. He showed us a perfect example of that, and we're called to be his disciples. We're called to follow him. So let's just apply that today in our own world. Yeah, let's just pray. Father, I thank you that you call us to walk in your ways. Not man's ways, God, but to walk in your ways, Father. And Lord, we trust in you, Lord, and lean not on our own understanding. And God, I thank you that you showed us what it means to be meek, not weak, Father, but so strong in you, so mature in you, God. And no matter what happens, God, we could not let a single word fall to the ground. And God, we thank you that you are a God who is alive today, who still speaks to us today. Not just through your word, but through the men and women of God that you've placed in our lives. And God, Lord, we just, we just come together, Lord, as one voice, saying that, Lord, it's the confession of our heart to really be like Jesus. To no longer just say and agree with empty words, Father, but to really have an effect on our lives, on our minds, on our actions, God, that will lead to everlasting transformation, God. Lord, we want to be like you. God, we thank you that we're hungry. We thank you that you've, pl- you've deposited a hunger in each and every one of our hearts to know you. God, I thank you that there is something special in this house. But Lord, as we steward this hunger, as we steward the words that you've given us, God, Lord, we declare that we want more. Where we're at, Father, it's not good enough. We want more. So God, will you let faith arise? Will you let hope arise? Will you let this hunger arise in our hearts? That we will be like Solomon and really take his father's words to heart. That we may prosper in all that you have called us to do, Father. For Lord, in this year of inspiration, Lord, you call us to seek for wisdom as if it's pure gold, precious silver. And Lord, we need your wisdom to build this house. For Lord, this house is not just for souls, not just for Korea, it's for the nations, God. Lord, help us to really cherish the words that you've given us to a deeper level, Father. To a deeper level, Father. Yes, God, we just thank you, Father, for showing us the way. And Lord, we're going to still follow after you. We're going to look like you, Lord Jesus, more and more every day. God, we thank you that uh, you take us from glory to glory, Lord, in this way. We just bless your name, God. We thank you, Father. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name.